Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed as we welcome you along to the programme. But I want to start the programme by going back to yesterday and Joe, who joined us on the comment line and he joined us because he wanted to highlight yet again, because he'd been on with us last year, about a water leak on the Liscarroll to Butterfield Road and we had reported it on Joe's behalf uh, last year to Irish Water and they sent somebody out and they said they took a look at it and they were looking to see was it a water main and it wasn't a water main so basically it wasn't anything to do with them but they said that they would do some further investigation. Joe came on yesterday and said nothing has been done. That water leak is still leaking uh, between Liscarroll and Butterfield so we got back on again to Irish Water who have subsequently changed their name to Ishka Aram and they have come back with a response saying that they do not have any report of issues with the water network in that area at this time. But they do say that the similar issue was reported previously and I assume that's when we got onto them last year and they said that when they investigated it found out it was a spring. So it's not a water leak, it's actually a spring. But one wonders the damage it's doing if it is coming out onto the road. And then at the end of Joe's call he said he he said could we also find out what was going on with the council with regards to repairs of a particular road a road that had been resurfaced uh, but there was parts of it was left damaged and he felt the road wasn't finished and could we find out more about it so I put him back out onto John Paul so John Paul could get the exact details of the section of the road that Joe was talking about so we got on to Cork County Council to the roads crew and they tell us that the first of all they tell us that the roads crew are currently working in Milford on footpaths and on Liscarroll on surface dressing. Now they say a section of road from Schoolyard Cross towards Dromina has been completed recently and that's what Joe was talking about but they do accept there has been a few damaged areas. They now say ahead of this road's second coating of chips. So the road was completed but it but not fully completed because it needs a second coating of chips. They say any isolated damaged areas will be uh, repaired. So Joe will be happy to hear that. They are aware of some damaged areas and they're coming back to sort it out. And while we were getting those responses from Ishka Aaron and from Cork County Council on the roads, I, I read an interesting piece in today's Irish Examiner and it's Sean O'Reardon who decided to have a chat with one of the senior council engineers about the condition of our roads. And Sean is writing in the examiner today that several roads in County Cork are crumbling. And this is due to years of underfunding and it's also due to the increasing impact of climate change. Sean spoke with a senior council engineer who says they now need an immediate 30% increase in government funding. And if they manage to get a 30% increase, it will just help them keep pace with the damage that has been caused by rainfall. And this figure would probably have to rise to a 50% increase 
as the impacts of climate change worsen. Now, the senior council engineer is Brendan O'Gorman. Now, he's actually responsible for sections of roads in the North Cork area. But of course, everything, as Brendan is saying, could be reflected anywhere across the county. And he pointed out that the amount of rain that fell in March, and of course, we know that March was the the wettest month on record. Uh, And he says the damage that was caused by that amount of rainfall will now take the road crews until June to repair. And he also now fears that 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 will increasingly become the norm because we know rainfall levels are getting worse in the coming years. That's been predicted by the climate change uh, scientists. So he was reflecting on his area. It's the Formoy Municipal District, how much roads he is responsible for and the damage to some of those roads. He said rainfall levels last October and November were also very high. And that meant that they only started repairs to rural roads in December. And he said then there was a very short window of opportunity because we had a combination of freezing weather in January on top of the railfall damage. And that obviously all leads to crumbling roads, especially in some of our very rural areas. And he says what literally what the council now will be doing is playing catch up well into June uh, before the, 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 before the, all of those roads that were damaged in the last number of months can be uh, repaired. And he says they even have crews working on Saturdays to try to clear the backlog. They're then going to have to see, uh, he said, what we literally we're going to have to see increased funding. He said roads in County Cork have been underfunded for at least the last 30 years. He says that they should be carrying out structural repairs on all of the county's road networks. That should be done, the structural repairs, every 20 years. But at the moment, because of funding, it's now happening like every 40 uh, years. So you can imagine how bad the road gets if it was due to have structural repairs done every 20 years and they don't get to that road until 40 years. You can imagine the condition the roads would be in. So he's coming out with this figure of a 30% increase in funding and that will just keep them on an even even keel. But he said with rainfall figures getting higher with climate change, we're going to need probably even more. And that's where he's saying the extra 50% uh, on the increases is what will be need year on year. What the government now give, they're kind of saying you need to look at that and give us 50% uh, more. And the government is, of course, they are providing what they call climate change funding to repair weather damaged roads and bridges. But the council have said it's not even scratching the surface as to what they uh, need. And we've looked at that uh, before because particularly when you look at us here in Cork as a county compared to any other county in the country, we have the largest amount of road network that you know needs to be maintained and repaired. And we're not getting a fraction of the amount of money we need. So I think nobody will be surprised to hear even a senior council engineer saying that we have roads that are simply crumbling. And how often do we hear about it on this programme when we have listeners ringing in talking about the crumbling roads that they have to drive on. They have no other choice. There's no alternative roads for them to go on. They have to drive on them day in, day out. And then the subsequent damage that has been done to people's cars, 
by having to drive on these roads and the frustration people feel then when they go into an NCT and they fail and they know in their heart and soul that they failed because of damage caused by crumbling roads and then you know the inevitable argument what are we paying road tax for etc uh, comes in. So senior council engineers calling out the government saying you need to give us more money but even just by increasing funding by the 30% they'll only be really running to stand still. Eddie Bandon is on just says, you know, let's acknowledge when prices are starting to come down. Diesel is coming down at the moment. It's under the 150 mark now in most areas. Uh, Eddie and Bandon said he's seen it at anything between 147 and 149. So it has gone below the 150 mark, which is a little bit of reprieve for uh, diesel drivers. Now, on roads, when I mentioned the piece about the senior council engineer talking about what they need, Cork County Council need an increase, an immediate increase in government funding give them the money that they're they're meant to get but they need additional funding on uh, top of that because many of our roads are simply crumbling. Uh, Julie Imbalan-Hasek says given the size of Cork it should be given way more money than any of the other counties across Ireland. Julie remembers reading a report previously that Cork received similar road budgets to Leash and Louth which are much smaller in size and obviously have much less roads than we have here in Cork. John in Clonakilty says climate change seems to be an excuse for everything these days. Yes there is an increase in rainfall but we can't blame the climate for the lack of maintenance carried out on Cork roads. Roadways with water flowing onto them from blocked drains is the main reason that many of our roads are falling apart. In fairness to this senior council engineer He's not directly blaming council uh, climate change. He's saying the climate change and the increase in rainfall because of climate uh, change is adding to the problem. But he's absolutely accepting that there's been an underfunding from government when it comes to maintenance of our uh, roads. Also in on uh, texts, there are water leaks all over West Cork. Nothing seems to be done about those, says a texter. Uh, Why don't the council, says Mike, fine landowners who leave water flow on from their land or property onto a public roadway? That surely would help to limit damage to roads. Cork County Council need to start enforcing the laws and the ex-council man is back saying the man with the shovel is missing to take the water off the road and that was all down to health and uh, safety. Hi Patricia climate change, great excuse for everything nowadays when the dikes and the drains are stuffed with dirt and leaves and no council man out clearing them. If they kept the dikes clean there wouldn't be as much water on the road. And Shay saying it is very clear that the government needs to start recruiting again within Cork County Council. That Cork County Council have their own workers here in Cork that would f- just for road uh, maintenance. And where and what are all the Cork TDs doing if we're not getting enough funding here for Cork County Council? And that's in from Shay. All right, that's just some of your calls and comments coming in on the state of of the roads in Cork County. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on and C103. And our street fleet has just given an update on that accident that we were talking about. There was a road traffic uh, incident. It was on the N40 uh, northbound between the Mahan Interchange and the Jack Lynch uh, Tunnel. And the, we had 
texts in from people who were stuck in a traffic jam for at least uh, 30 minutes uh, and we were trying to tell people to avoid the uh, area. Uh, cars now are passing the scene. There was two cars involved in the accidents but the tow trucks are at the scene along with the emergency uh, services. Traffic is down to one lane uh, so it's but it is at least slowly uh, moving and thanks to our street fleet for that uh, update. Now Dan has been on by text to say Patricia what nearly happened in Cahir Sivine was was a, a disgrace. Since Britain decided to ship asylum seekers to Rwanda, the numbers arriving in this country have rocketed. There's 580 at present who can't be accommodated here with five cases against the state in the High Court from people who couldn't be accommodated seeking redress. Where is all this going to end for us legally and financially, says uh, Dan. Now there's a, a couple of uh, so- stories there in that statement from Dan. Firstly, on what nearly happened in, in Cahir Saivim and this is to do with the uh, I think it was up to 80 uh, Ukrainian men, women and uh, children who were told they got a letter I think last month telling them they were going to have to, have to move from Cahir Saivim to other parts of uh, Kerry. They've actually only been given a reprieve because I'm reading in the papers uh, today that the government officials couldn't give a commitment to those Ukrainian refugees that they would be allowed to remain in that hotel in uh, Cahir What has been reported is a pause remains on moving them. They're staying in the former Skellig Star Hotel in Cahir And the reason that a pause remains was there was a huge outcry, particularly from the people in the community, that the plan was that the government were going to move four of uh, the residents out of the hotel. But are 40, but they would be remaining in the area. But then there was going to be another, at least 35, who they were going to move to uh, Tralee. And then it's understood that the Skellig Accommodation Centre, they had recently applied to accommodate international protection applicants and they won the state tender. So they were now going to start housing asylum seekers, which meant the Ukrainian refugees would have to move out. But it's the owners of the Skellig Accommodation Centre's They are the ones who have applied to now house asylum seekers instead. So I can understand why the government have only put a pause on it because we know that the government have been struggling to secure accommodation for asylum seekers in uh, recent months. And while officials say it's challenging to secure accommodation for Ukrainians, it's much, much harder to find shelter for asylum seekers. And asylum seekers, particularly those that are single uh, men, the city West Transit Hub in Dublin, that's remained closed now for a couple of months at this stage. It's still, it's going to remain closed for the for the foreseeable future. No date in sight when they're going to be able to start uh, accommodating and accepting new asylum seekers because they are literally full to capacity at the moment. So they can't take uh, any more. And Dan is right, as of last night, now more may have arrived today, so that number could go up. 580 asylum seekers, when they arrived into this country, there was no state accommodation for them. The 580 up to yesterday was the highest figure. We had another figure yesterday that had been the highest. Now we've passed that at 580. And Dan is also right, there is a lot of concern, and I imagine a lot of concern within government circles about now the wider financial implications 
because we spoke about it on the programme last week. There was a landmark compensation. Uh, well, the compensation payout, how much will have to be paid out to the Afghan teenager. That will be back in the courts next week. But he won the case last week. The teenager had arrived in this country looking for international uh, protection, but there wasn't a bed for him. He wasn't offered any state accommodation through the state would say through no fault of their own they didn't have accommodation for him so he ended up uh, homeless he ended up then taking a case and it's understood the department officials are working now on papers for the integration minister ahead of the cabinet committee meeting on Ukraine tomorrow and they're going to try to outline the state's response to last week's uh, judgment but TDs and uh, senators are starting to feel a little bit nervous now also about the tourism uh, sector due to all of the government contracts that are there with hotels which are accommodating not just Ukrainian refugees but are also the accommodation, the asylum seekers and I know there is a transport an Oireachtas Transport Committee meeting today and addressing that is going to be Elena Fitzgerald Kane. Now Elena is the chairwoman of the Irish Tourism Industry Federation so she has the actual figures that she's going to be presenting to the Tourism Committee uh, today and they're looking at the figures outside of uh, Dublin. 35% of all beds have been given to the state to house those fleeing war or those who are claiming uh, asylum. But when you break down those uh, figures and you look at other areas around the country, Donegal for example 50% of their tourism beds in Donegal are now under state control so therefore not available to uh, tourists. Looking in Clare, 39% of beds there are with state contracts and even in Kerry they have 35% of uh, the tourism beds now held with the state in housing either Ukrainian refugees or those seeking asylum. Now there may be some little bit of reprieve to be able to house more of the Ukrainian refugees because the first of the 700 modular homes they will be handed over in Mahan in Cork in the next two weeks and it's now estimated that these modular homes rapid build houses. They cost anything up to €165,000. That's for a two-bedded room uh, unit and they have been developed to house Ukrainians and the plan is they'll house Ukrainians for three years and then at that point they'll be offered to the local authority for social housing and the lifespan of these modular homes uh, is 60 years. They really have uh, come on. But yes, the state is in a bit of a pickle and a bit of a bind at the moment and there's pressure now coming from all sides as to what we're going to do with house both the Ukrainian refugees and also those looking for asylum. 0818103103. Our lines are open. John Paul uh, taking your calls. Uh, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. Now, the European Transport Safety Council, whose numbers include the Road Safety Authority, have called on the European Commission to drop a proposal that would allow those aged 16 to drive vehicles who would be fitted with a special limiting device. Kerry Independent Dáil Deputy Michael Healy-Ray is in favour of this measure and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Thank you very much, Patricia, uh, well, for the opportunity. Well, you're welcome. Now, why do you feel allowing 16-year-olds to drive? Why do you believe that is a good move? Well, first of all, I want to thank you and your radio station for the opportunity because what I'm very, very interested this morning, somebody else said to me about oh, what do government have to say about this? 
I'm more interested in what the people have to say about it. And I'd really be interested in the feedback because the, the merit I can see in it is, first of all, it would benefit probably a greater proportion of people in rural areas rather than urban areas because by the very nature, people are living in the countryside and uh, maybe aunties, uncles, grandparents, parents might benefit from the help and assistance that young drivers could give to them in living in rural areas. Number one, by being able to go on the roads themselves and not have to be taken by their parents or grandparents. And also, I would want to see in tandem with this, and this is something that I haven't looked for this weekend or last weekend or last year, but 10 years ago, uh, I was inside the Dáil saying that in first, second and third year, students should, it should be on the curriculum the use of a motor car, the rules of the road, the actual workings of a car. Every school should have a car parked outside in the, in the schoolyard to be uh, examined and shown people how to change wheels, to, to check it for oil and water, and use the car safely. And I think that by third year in uh, in uh, secondary school, that people should really have a great understanding of the rules of the road and have actually passed exams with regard to it. And that by the time they do their leaving and leave school, they're in their back pocket, they would have a full driver's licence. And I think that would and be that, a great As far as I know, that, ha- that happens in the States, doesn't it? Most, yes, most but young it doesn't people happen in the States. Yeah. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen in our States. And uh, what happened then was uh, yesterday I was talking to Pat Kinney on his radio programme and he made the comment, uh, I drew down about sex education because somebody was saying that, oh, well, we don't have time to teach them about cars and who are we going to get to do this and all that. And what I said was, well, we seem to have no problem in the world in teaching people about uh, sex education and girls and boys and boys and boys and girls and girls. And by God, we can teach them everything in the world. And a lot of it, I'm wondering, should we be teaching it at all? But that's a debate for a different time. But Pat Kinney then said to me, well, he said, what you're saying so is, we're teaching them exactly what they should be doing in the back seat of the car, and we're not telling them what they should be doing in the front seat at all. Go on, and you know, <laughs> if, if you think about it, it was a very smart comment to make, to be fair. OK, but the, but the reason the, the reason that it has been spoken about is there is this EU uh, proposal, and when I started to look into this uh, EU uh, proposal, uh, they, they're looking at getting and allowing 16-year-olds to drive. And they're saying it's to address mobility issues in remote areas, which is exactly what you're talking about. And obviously there are other parts of Europe that have rural areas that have the same issues that our families have here, trying to get somebody from A to B. There isn't a bus, there isn't a Dart, there isn't a Lewis outside the door. And it means mammy and daddy constantly on the road driving. So if you had responsible 16-year-olds who, as you say, are taught properly how to drive. Well, yes. If you, could, if you told me that tomorrow morning the government were going to introduce in this and that you could drive a car at 16, I'd, I, I'd be very worried about it. I, 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 I actually go so far as saying I wouldn't support it. Because what I want to see is it coming in with the measures of education. And that would be first, second and third year that would be on the curriculum. And then I, I, I really think you would be supporting young people then and helping them and assisting them with one of the basic tools of life, and that is how to drive a car. And that you didn't steal in them from an early age, that if you're driving a car, you should be watching for the cyclist. You should be watching for the pedestrian. You should be watching for the child. And give the people that responsibility and get them to, you know, be courteous and, and give the other person 
the bit of leeway and do not not be one of these argumentative persons that have I mean I, I've seen it myself times in Dublin and believe me it's I'm probably wrong more than anybody else that you'd make a small mistake and instead of give you a chance the, the, the person blow you be, off the road or should they be standing in the hotel and do you know I'd look at him and I'd think God almighty I'm to a very angry person instead of getting a fitty laughing and saying, well, you know, you donkey wouldn't watch where we're going or something like that. But instead, this beast up and this hooting and tis like tis the end of the world that we made a mistake. Or yeah, like, I was, I was, know? I was only last week I was driving behind a, a learner uh, driver and I could see she was uh, obviously having a lesson and she was quite nervous. So I was giving her a yeah. lot of space. Well, the car behind me started tooting at me to say, move on, move on. So I, I was leaning out trying to point and there's a learner driver in front. I have a Bit of respect. We all had to learn to drive at some stage. Exactly. Bit of and patience. And you know that's the board. And I know some of us might be rushing times and everything. But go on, don't go take it out on the person who might make a little mistake or need that extra bit of time or be unsure about where they're going. How many times have I been someplace and I'd be hesitant because I'd be looking up and down the street wondering is it there I'm supposed to go or here or where am I supposed to be? And you know, make allowances for people. But train people into that in school and start it at an early age. And I think that we'd have a better society for it. And I know that in, in urban areas it wouldn't be needed because children can come out the door and they can get a bus, they can get whatever they want. It's all there under their fingers. But in rural areas it's not. And I know that the county that I represent, Kerry, and I know indeed in your county, parts of West Cork, there's an awful lot of remote areas that would benefit greatly from this opportunity. Yeah, and of because, course, and, and I do know the European Transport Safety Council, obviously, that the RSA is affiliated to, who are very much against uh, this proposal. Um, but they came out with their alternative should be better public transport with reduced ticket prices for young uh, people. And again, that will only work in urban areas. Rubbish. And can I say one thing about the RSA? And I'd love it if there was somebody on against me because I'd, I'd, I'd challenge them blatantly for a lot of their behaviour. The RSA are charged with road safety in Ireland. And I respect very much work that's done in a genuine way to save lives. But an awful lot of what the RSA go on with is not what I would word properly directed. And what I mean by that. For years and years when I've been advocating, educating young people, I've never heard anybody come out from the RSA or I've never heard them come out with a statement that, yes, we should be teaching young people to drive in our, in our secondary schools. They've never once said that. And I, I challenged them again on your programme as, I, as, I, as I've done over the last number of days. Wake up a small bit and understand that we should be educating young people, but they won't. I'll tell you who they're more interested why, in. And why them. do you think they won't? I'll tell you why. They're a lot more interested, for example. And I'm addressing this now to lorry drivers, van drivers, and people on the road with jeeps and trailers. I'll tell you what the RSA are more interested in. They're more interested in seeing you being pulled in on the side of the road and treated like a criminal, and people with yellow coats and white coats going through your truck or your lorry like a dose of salt, right? And these now are fine, respectable people who make their living on the road. And they play a very valuable role in lives, in our lives. And it's getting harder and harder to get lorry drivers and bus drivers and truck drivers. And I'll tell you why. Because they're treated like criminals. Well, there are, well, the RSA will say there are checks that they have to do to make sure that everyone's abiding by the rules. Yes, and I'll tell you the answer to that. When a person takes their lorry or their van away and, and their trailer and it's tested, and it, it has a valid test, 
It might have been tested the day before and the following day they're pulled in on the side of the road. Instead of they being able to produce that test and say, look, this vehicle was tested in, and it's in test, right? And being told, fine, on your way. No, they'll go through it to see is there some possibility that they can pull you on something else, right? So that they can give you a penalty point or an endorsement or do some harm to you. And what harm you are you doing? You're, you're on the road trying to get your goods from A to B to start Yeah, but, but Michael, they, they, they'll, only, they'll only get you and they'll only hand you out a penalty point if you've done something wrong. I don't think they're deliberately going well, out to, tar- well, to target that, uh, people. I, okay, I so somebody else wants to say... I appreciate we yeah. up for the minute. Yeah, well, I have to because they're not, they're not here to... I know, exactly. I know the point and you're I making. Agree. Okay, Tim says a 16-year-old can drive a tractor and pull a trailer full of uh, silage. Yes, Michael is right, of course. Driving ought, should be part of the school curriculum on the rules of the road and practical driving skills how long before we see 16 year olds on the road a a rural dweller we don't have the bus or the dart on our doorstep so Tim would be in favour of seeing 16 year olds and it would be the European proposal would be there would be a speed limiter so they couldn't go uh, above uh, 45 kilometres per hour Okay, I have to leave it there uh, Michael because I'm over on time listen thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme good morning to you and uh, May says also young people should be taught how to read their pay slips before leaving secondary school many leave without that skill as well. Now we're going to stay on the topic of driving this morning and we're looking at the results of a recent survey conducted by People Insurance that shows dangerous overtaking and speeding are some of the most disliked driving habits among people in Ireland. Paul Walsh is the CEO of People Insurance and Paul joins me. Good morning to you Paul. Good morning Patricia now, great to be with you. And great to have you on the programme I suppose we've all witnessed uh, dangerous overtaking but is the real concern here that that those impatient drivers, they can and do lead to accidents. They do indeed. In fact, it's one of the most common lead indicators, and that's one of the reasons we did it, Patricia. We wanted to see what people, a motorist in Cork, found most vexing on the road. And you touched on the top three there. Dangerous overtaking by far was the number one issue, followed by people not using their indicators when needed and driving too fast. And they, particularly on our roads across West Cork, really do top our our list of things which worry us most. Yeah, because if you're on uh, rural roads or roads that you're not familiar with, with, and this is something now that will become very relevant as we head into the summer months and people are on holidays, etc. When people do start, you know, stupid overtaking on roads that they don't know, it's crazy because they don't know what's up ahead. Of course, uh, and, and, and exactly, this is what's causing real concern. And when you look at just, just motorists in Cork alone, we had over 20,000 of the 25,000 penalty points uh, issued in 2021 alone in Cork were just issued for speeding. Um, and I don't mean to be stereotypical here, two-thirds of those went to men, Patricia. So uh, if there's a lesson here, it's not just also for the tourists coming into, the, into Cork, but also for local people who, are, who think they're familiar with the road, we tend to speed up closer to home, believe it or not. That's where most accidents actually unfortunately happen. Why do you think that message on speeding is not getting through to people? We know well, it, speed kills. We do. But interestingly, you know, it's amazing. It does differ by age, Patricia, and it differs by gender. Interestingly, um, women, far more women are concerned about dangerous uh, 
dangerous behaviour on the road, particularly dangerous overtaking, driving too fast. When it comes to men, we seem to be less anxious about these things. And the things which bug us most, Patricia, tend to be bad behaviours. People not letting us out of a spot or some people not moving off or green lights. So what happens behind the steering wheel is we change into different people, clearly different characters. Yeah, that's where the road rage comes from then, is it? It tends to be a little bit of the red mist, don't you know? How come it's six times more men in Cork are likely to beep their horn at the light <laughs> if somebody doesn't move away than women? And then the opposite, of course, to the, the fast driving. Driving slowly, that can really annoy people, you know, the so-called Sunday drivers. It does indeed. And, and, and for all those younger drivers on the road, and, and, and fair play to you all for going through all the tests, 25 to 35-year-olds find the most annoying thing than other people is driving too slowly. And so uh, I don't know if I fall into that category, Patricia, sometimes. But, uh, but yet they do tend to find that more alarming. Um, there is, however, right across the board, for people over 35, a lot more patience with uh, taking account for other people's driving. But yes, driving too slow tends to be what really gets the goat up for our younger drivers today around Cork. Okay, and you also asked uh, people about seatbelt usage. I mean, surely everybody belts up as soon as they get into the car. It's a great comment, isn't it? 98% of us use our seatbelt 100% of the time. We are very, very compliant. Unfortunately, there seems to be this creeping edge of people coming in who don't wear their seatbelts. And those 2% tend to be the same recidivist, people who don't wear it again and again. Just back alone, again in 2021, 178 people alone received penalty point notices in Cork, across Cork, for not wearing a seatbelt. Unbelievable, you might think, Patricia. Here's the scary thing. Nine out of ten of them were men. Yeah, my car makes a, a really hideous noise if I don't have my seatbelt on. I'm, I'm assuming that, that those alarms are in every car, or can you disable the, those alarms? You can disable um, them, but of course that is actually that will get your uh, your uh, your NCT rejected. You are meant to have those uh, those alarms in the car, and actually it's meant to give you a notice if you don't have your seatbelt plugged in. But thankfully, thankfully, most of us do wear them. And so what we just need is for the, when we do see those small percentage of people, Patricia, not wearing their seatbelts, ask them to buckle up yeah. for their sake and for, their, for the rest yeah. of us. And just for everyone to be a little bit more considerate when you're on the roads. It is indeed. And in fact, a little bit more patience at traffic lights. Guys, sl- slow it down a bit, calm it down a bit at lights. Don't get too upset if people aren't letting you out of a spot. Um, and we probably could take, a, as men, a little lesson from the fairer sex by just realising safety is the number one issue. And as more women, two-thirds of women told us in the latest poll, slow down, you don't need to be going too fast on dangerous roads. On that positive note, we leave it, Paul. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you, Paul Walsh there, who is CEO of People Insurance. Some people commenting on Deputy Michael Healy-Ray, who I just spoke with. Esther says, oh, Patricia, how right Michael Healy-Ray is about the RSA. They can treat people like criminals. And even when drivers have everything in order, I find they can be a law unto themselves, says uh, Esther. And then Michael says, Patricia, I agree 100% with Deputy Michael Healy-Ray and what Pat Kenny was saying yesterday. No true words were ever uttered by 
anyone that we in our schools were teaching children what to do in the back seat of the car rather than teaching them what they should be doing in the front seat. Now a lot of commentary coming in on our chat in the last hour uh, between Michael Healy Ray and this EU proposal to allow 16 year olds to drive on the road. He said we should be more talking around uh, teaching children how to drive in school and then that led in nicely to our piece with Paul Walsh who was looking at bad driving on our road and drive driver behaviour and what kind of irks us when we're out on uh, the road. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in. Phil says, Deputy Michael Healy Ray, well done to him. In my view, he has a lot of common sense that many of our TDs don't have an ounce of. Of course, teaching young people how to drive, it should be part of the school curriculum. Uh, Thank you, Patricia, for your programme. That's from Phil. Thank you for that, uh, Phil. But somebody else then says on the dangerous driving, a lot of dangerous overtaking is to do when a driver is driving too slow. There's a big tailback of of traffic behind the slow driver and then you've got people who decide to overtake. Now the person who is driving slowly might think everybody is flying by when actually they're not. They could be just driving at the correct speed. I'm wondering what age group did they ask uh, when they were conducting that poll and I've looked at the poll and all age groups from the first group were 18 to 24 year olds and it was right up to the over 55. So all age groups uh, were conducted for that uh, particular uh, poll. On teaching young people to drive, just throwing it out there. You can obtain a learner's permit in Alaska, uh, Iowa, Kansas, North and South Dakota and obviously other parts of the state. You can get it at 14 years of age, which, by the way, says this texture, I feel is too young. But I wonder, would we go down that route? Well, I did make that point. If you are in in America, children learn to drive. Now, I know they're driving automatics uh, as well, but they learn to drive much earlier and they do get the learner permit. Now, a learner permit doesn't mean that they're out on the road, but they can pick up their learner permit and start to learn the rules of the road. And I don't know if it's, if it's included in the school curriculum or not, but certainly young people leaving school in America before they head off to college, they're all able to drive and all of them will have their full licences. I don't think they're allowed out on the road, though, until they have their uh, full uh, licence. So maybe it's a model that we could uh, look at. And then on the condition of roads that we touched on as well when I mentioned about the senior engineer who is in quoted in the papers today as saying we need more money from the government here in Cork at least a 30% increase in the government funding that Cork County is getting at the moment we need that just really to to run to stand still uh, because there's been so much damage done on our roads and there's been under maintenance. The maintenance hasn't been done on, the, on our roads for many, many years. Emer in Skibbereen was listening to us and she said, I work in Bandon, so therefore I commute from Skibbereen to Bandon every day. The N71 road from Bandon to Clonakilty is in such a state of disrepair. There's actually parts of it, Emer says, are barely drivable. Nothing is ever done on that section of the road. Yes, we will have all of the local TDs talking about it, giving out about it, highlighting it, and the road continues to fall apart. Now, she said it was resurfaced a number of years ago, but due to the increased traffic levels, the surface simply has fallen into disrepair again. It's also embarrassing. We're entering into the tourism uh, season to think that people visiting, coming from other countries uh, and other counties in Ireland, will be driving on the N71 to get to beautiful West Cork to find it in that condition. 
at the end of the day it is the main road into and out of West Cork and Billy's in Clonakilty says if you spent one million cutting trees in ditches the roads would be drier so the frost wouldn't have the same effect on them as it has in the winter you'd also have less water running out onto the roads at other parts of the year so many retired council people will tell you that the trees that were planted 40 or 50 years ago were never planted with the idea that they will be allowed to grow out are so high many of those trees need to be trimmed back and then Tom was listening to me talking about the senior engineer talking about the condition of the roads and how they're all crumbling and they need extra funding Tom says Tom I'm here and I'm crying out loud I'd love to meet some of those engineers and take them to a few roads that were recently had work done on them some of them are a disgrace how anyone could sign off on them and think they are of good structure and it's because of the way they were constructed by the council. It is just a waste of money. I'm on the roads every day. And can they not see that blacktop is the only way to go? If it was to do with climate change, then the new stretch of road that was done on the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road, that would crumble too. It's a super job that was conducted constructed by Sorensen, the company, private contractor. So maybe the council the, and the engineers should be looking down the private route and stop wasting taxpayers' money on just doing resurfacing jobs because it's not at working. A Skibbereen, thanks Tom, a Skibbereen resident says, Hi Patricia, the bypass road in Skibbereen between the roundabout at Hurleyheath's garage and Drina Cross is a pure disgrace. It's only a matter of time before somebody is seriously injured on that road because you've got motorcycles and cyclists who are literally taking their lives in their own hands on that particular straight stretch. That's from a Skibbereen resident. Maura in Mitchellstown, I agree with Michael Healy Ray. We teach so many subjects in school but life learning seems to be the one that we fall down on. So many students leave school and they couldn't change attire and cannot drive. With transition year it would be a perfect opportunity to teach young people how to drive and now many transition years are compulsory in school so all of the class go through transition year. That's the year that should be used to teach more life skills and they should be taught how to drive. Martin in Bantry says if teens are on the road under this new proposal from the EU that 16 year olds would be allowed uh, to drive but they'd only be able to drive on a car that would have a speed limiter. What's been suggested is the car couldn't go any faster than 45 kilometres an hour. Martin straight away sees a problem with that. He says if you have these young people out driving on the road and they can't go beyond 45 kilometres an hour they will be the slow drivers that other people have been giving out about and that can and will lead to accidents. You'll have people driving behind the 16-year-old realising they can't go beyond 45 kilometres an hour and that's when dangerous overtaking will come into it. That could end up leading to an accident. So Martin says that proposal really needs to be, uh, needs they need to think it through. And then Tony in Bandham says, listening to your call with Deputy Michael Healy Ray, Patricia, at the age of 16 I was driving cars etc. I was also driving 57 tonnes of a beast, a chieftain battle truck. I drove it all over Germany, through towns like Bandon, Kinsale, Cork City and we also learned how to do maintenance. Uh, good show at Cheers, that's from Tony. I, when you say it was a 
Chieftain Battle Truck, I take it at 16 you were in the army and they taught you how to drive. I'm, I'm assuming that's uh, what it was. But obviously at 16 you were able to drive. Uh, Michael in the city says, while everyone is talking about safety on our roads, what is the point? There is a complete lack of enforcement. When is the last time people drove on roads and saw a Garda pulling a driver in on a main road? We were in Killarney recently and I actually saw a car driving around Killarney town. Wait for this. It had no registration plate and I'm assuming it wasn't a new car that was waiting to be registered. There are also drivers on the road who have no lights, faulty lights and they are driving and they drive on where I where I live. Um, and in countries, in other countries, they simply would not get away with driving a car in that type of condition. So it's enforcement is what is needed. And I'm wondering if you're coming across cars with dodgy lights or faulty lights, has that got to do with delays in NCT? Because that car wouldn't pass an NCT if it had faulty lights or no lights. But no lights, I'm assuming if somebody's just forgotten to switch on the lights, is it? You couldn't be driving around with no lights working at all. But enforcement anyway is the point that Michael is making. We need more Gardaí out on the roads. And while we're talking about driving, Dan Joe says e-scooters. We need to be talking about e-scooters. They need to be taxed, they need to be insured and we know that that's not going to happen. Dan Joe is contacting us in Balancolic. He says they're driving on the footpaths. They're driving through roundabouts in Balancolic and he said he's even seen them break red lights and again it's back to enforcement. Nobody's doing anything about it. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking new calls. C103 jobs. Blackrock Autos, they've got vacancies for full and part-time mechanics and also an apprentice transport uh, needed from Mallow. You can call 087-911-2182. Kitchen assistant required to work Mondays in a canteen in Bandon. Experience in food prep, cleaning, washing up as well as service and car handling is uh, required. You need to email kccatering at hotmail.com. Full-time bar person required for the Clonakilty Park Hotel. Email CVs and a cover letter, please, to mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. And qualified electricians are wanted for Bishopstown and a skilled construction worker needed for Court McSherry. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Now, yesterday during our chat about addictions, we spoke about the anecdotal evidence indicating that Ireland now has an increasing number of people with addictions to over the counter codeine based pain relief medication. Fianna Gael Dáil Deputy Colin Burke feels the issue needs to be addressed and sooner rather than later and Colin Burke joins me. Good morning to you Colin. Morning Patricia. Now you have concerns not just about the -the over-the-counter medication you are particularly highlighting prescription codeine. Explain why. Yeah well I've put down a number of questions to the Minister over the last number of weeks and the replies I got indicated that um, over 1,110,000 prescriptions were issued for codeine last year. Now, that's under three different schemes, the General Medical Service Scheme, the Drugs Payment Scheme, and the Long-Term Illness Benefit Scheme. And that's prescriptions, so it just gives you an indication of the scale. Um, and that does not include, obviously, where 
coding is where there's an item which is, doesn't require a prescription is bought over the counter where it has coding or where people have purchased um, directly um, without going through any of these, these three schemes. So it's a very big uh, number of prescriptions taking into account the population of the country. And I think, you know, the um, Health Products Regulatory Authority is looking at this issue at the moment there to report back to the Department of Health. And I believe that we should report back at an early date, um, carry out the review, report back, and then whatever amending regulations need to be put in place should be put in place. But the, the Health Products Regulatory Authority, are they only doing a review on the over-the-counter coding products? Or are yes, they look, they're, yeah. they're doing a review of the over-the-counter products and whether or not we can, um, we need to put in, you know, a regulation that some of these products need to come in under the prescription regime. You see, the problem with over-the-counter products is that there's any preventing someone from going to a number of different pharmacies at the same time. There is no checks and balances there when a person does have a prescription. Whereas when a person has a prescription, then you can only go to one pharmacy with it. Now, there was this thing going back, say, maybe seven, eight years ago, where people could go to two or three different GPs and get a prescription from each one of them. But that's now not possible because it's difficult to get an appointment with a GP um, and GPs, unless you're on their, their list, won't give out prescriptions anyway. So, you know, it, it's far stricter now, but the, the problem still is there in relation to um, products which have coding, but which do not require a prescription. Do we have any numbers on how many people may be addicted to coding? We don't have numbers, um, but it is, we seem to have a heavy reliance. And, and in fairness, there, there is a scenario like where, and there's no point in avoiding an issue where people are uh, requiring medical care. They need to have, um, you know, they need to have medication to deal with pain issues. And then the question that I keep raising is about, you know, how can we fast track uh, access to the medical care that people require, whether it's, say, for instance, in relation to the orthopedics area, like knee replacement or hip replacement, you know, we should be using the treatment purchase fund far more effectively and get more people off the waiting list. Therefore, you would reduce down the number of people then who are reliant on painkillers. Yeah, because because I, I yesterday I heard uh, Dr. Dennis McCauley, he's a, a GP in, in County Donegal, and he was making that exact same point that you're making. He said there's about 65,000 patients waiting for orthopaedic outpatient appointments are waiting on uh, an operation. And he claimed that many of those patients, what he described as functioning addicts, because they need the codeine or at times they need stronger medication. He said, you know, when you work as a GP, when somebody comes in who's been on a waiting list for years for a knee or a hip operation and they come in crying with pain, Doctors have no other choice but to hand out those prescriptions. Absolutely, and that's the, the reason why you know we need to use the treatment purchase scheme more effectively. But we also need it just emphasises the need for the building of the elective hospital. And for instance, one of the issues I'm pushing is about the building of the elective hospital at Cork. We need to fast track that. Um, you know, I raised it with the minister uh, in the last two weeks at two separate meetings at the health committee. My understanding is that, you know, we're having to go through a design planning and go through a whole planning process. But I think once that's we're through that, that there should be no further delay in both the building because if we can build elective hospitals, all of these people who are waiting this 
can we deal to it in a far more timely manner? And we need to expedite that. And just in relation to the health services, really, as well, we need to take into account that there we've increased the number of people working in the HSC by over 40,000 people in the last 68 years. Uh, we were gone from over 103,000 people working there in 2000, December 2014 to now over 142,000. So there is additional uh, people working, but in a lot of cases they can't get access to theatre because they can't get access to theatre because they don't have beds to send out people to put, uh, to put people into. And then there's an awful lot of procedures also, which are day procedures, and if they don't have access to carry out those procedures, then there's delays as well. So all of these issues... Um, need to be dealt with but it's about infrastructure and putting infrastructure in place so that we can deal with that issue. Okay and back to codeine and people becoming so reliant on codeine and particularly whatever about leaving aside the people that are prescribed by their doctors because you take it that the doctors uh, feel these patients need it but of course there's another cohort of people who are literally going from chemist to chemist to chemist buying huge amounts of things like uh, Nurofen Plus and and Salpidine. Do you you feel pharmacists are doing the best that that they can at the moment? I mean they do try to put local controls in place. Yeah they do but it's it's very difficult for pharmacists. I think every one of the pharmacists that are working in this area um, and who are working front of line are very much aware when someone comes into them and they have concerns about it. But you see, we need also this whole issue about, you know, you go to Denmark, you have a card with your ID on it and you present that whether you go to your GP, the, with that card, the GP can open your file, put a prescription on it, doesn't give you the prescription but gives you back your card. You can then go down to your pharmacy and again, the pharmacist can open your file. And even if you have a a scenario where you're getting medication which is not on, which is not by way of prescription, you still have to produce your card. Mm. Therefore, it goes on your file that a particular medication has been provided to you. Uh, We don't have that system here and that's something that we should be working towards. And, you know, I've been talking about this for the last eight, nine years. And it's amazing how slow it is to develop a computerized system in relation to, um, you know, the um, we can, you know, we, we, we take it for granted about having a bank card. You can go anywhere in the world with your bank card and you can get into your account. You know, why can't we do the same thing in relation to um, our card, which deals with our, our medical requirements? And I think it's, a, it's, it's unfortunate we haven't developed that and that we need to do it. Yeah, and, and I know when I mentioned yesterday about this um, idea with the Health Products Regulatory Authority and their review, and it is possible that the over-the-counter codeine would have to be prescription only. A lot of people were saying that that would just put an, an extra layer of expense onto people who would have to go in and pay 60 to 70 euro to a doctor just to get pain relief. Yeah, but that's a balancing act that we have to look at. For instance, you know, you take, say, for instance, in relation to codeine, we did a there was a review done at European level back in 2012, and it was decided that um, codeine should not be prescribed to people under 12. Likewise, there's been a review done in relation to tramadol, and it's now uh, advised that tramadol should not be prescribed to anyone under 18. And I remember last year in relation to tramadol, for instance, there was over nearly half a million prescriptions issued for tramadol alone. So you know these are all the issues, the checks and balances that we need to have in place. And, you know, the, to make sure that we don't have uh, an increase and, a, you know, a constant increase in the number of people who are who reliant on medication. Medication is about 
um, I suppose it's about reducing uh, harm, but it's about supporting recovery. And if it's a situation where people remain on medication, then it means that they're not going through the process of recovery. Yeah. Okay, Mike in Bantry says, I'm listening to you talking about the use of codeine. At one point, I was on uh, salpidine tablets. My local chemist uh, suggested that I change and I went on to Panadol. I'm glad I did, says Mike from Bantry. And that's the point. Codeine addiction, uh, you can get very quickly dependent on codeine, can't you, Colm? You can, yeah. I mean, I'm not an expert in this area. Different people react in different ways to medication. But I think it's one of the worst examples I came across of someone who had a number of different health um, issues and ended up in hospital. And the medical consultant decided to withdraw them off of all medication because they were on so much medication. And as a result of that, they actually went into withdrawal symptoms that were on so wow. much medication. And... They, you know, they they agreed to do this, and they were. It, this was explained to them by the consultant that this, in fact, would happen. So they went into withdrawal symptoms, went through that whole process, which was quite difficult for a number of days, and then the consultant um, put them back on a planned um, program of medication, which was far less, and at the same time had a, a far better benefit for the patient. So you know, it's important that we realise that once you're taking medication. All of the time, um, you can come dependent on it and you may end up in a situation where you can't survive without it or you find it very difficult to survive without it. Okay. And I think it's important that we, we realise that as well. OK, and when do you expect the Health, health Products Regulatory Authority, well, their review, to be completed? Yeah, as I said, we put down a number of questions to the Minister on this matter and we got very detailed results back. On it, and as you know, we got results back in relation to all of these medications for a period from 2011 to 2022. So that's how we were able to calculate out the increase. As um, as you know, the, the the number of people on codeine has increased by over 17 percent since 2018. Um, likewise, I'll be following up with the minister again in relation to you know keeping the um, this issue live and trying to get the Health Products Regulatory Authority to come back to us at an early date with their report and then for the the Minister for Health and the Department of Health to take the appropriate um, the, the appropriate uh, decisions in relation to how we can help um, uh, to reduce down the level of people spent on, on medication. I think it's interesting as well to look at um, the US for instance they're now um, carrying big, you know, um, public notices about um, medication and the use of medication, trying to encourage people to reduce down the levels of medication they're reliant on. And for instance, if you look at the US uh, and just on medication and overdoses, in 2021, there was over 106,000 people died as a result of overdose in the US. Uh, and 16,000 of those were in relation to prescription opiates. So it's 106,000 people died in one year as a result of drug overdose. Now, that's a combination of cocaine and heroin and all the rest of it. But but it's also as a result of using um, prescription opiates. So we need to be aware of the challenges that are there and we need to take um, decisions so that there's careful medication, uh, there's careful um, management of medication, but also that people are aware of the risks of being dependent 
uh, long term on particular type of medication as well. OK. All right. Listen, keep us informed. In the meantime, Colin, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank uh, you. Good morning Take to you. That Bye. is uh, Cork based. Fine Gael, TD, uh, Colin Burke, 0818 And I'm just seeing a bit of good news coming down the wires. Uh, we had the price of milk going down last weekend. Well, it looks like the price of butter is finally coming down. Tesco and Aldi have agreed to reduce the price of their own brand butter from tomorrow. It's going to come down by 40 cent because butter, I mean, a lot of the dairy products just have gone through the roof. But there you go, butter, Tesco and Aldi, there will be a 40 cent reduction. So if you're planning on buying a pound of butter today hold off until tomorrow email patricia now with your story or comment cork today at c103.ie Cork today on C103. As part of this year's Fastnet Film Festival, two short films by Wombat Media and their production company based in West Cork will be screened at the Skull Harbour Hotel on Wednesday the 24th of May. Extraordinary Ordinary Women and Home Rules based on the book written by Karen uh, Minahan who is a West Cork author. I'm delighted to say joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very well you talking to me. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. Is it exciting to see your work come to life on a big screen? It is unbelievable, really, uh, because this is a project that has been going on for a couple of years. And uh, I've been researching probably for about three years and a book. There was a book last year. We had a live performance out of the stories that came up in the book. And we travelled with Home Rules this short Uh, play that is part of the book as well and all of a sudden it's now in a film version and the amazing thing is that the film brings out a slightly different quality in the stories which is kind of fascinating as well as seeing the amazing landscape of West Cork like on a large screen will be so exciting. Now we need to go back and talk about this uh, fantastic book Extraordinary Ordinary uh, uh, Women. It started out I believe as a project that you thought would just be a pamphlet that ended up in a book. (laughs) So go back and tell me how it all came about. So a couple of years ago, I I became interested in in the kind of the stories behind the big stories in the War of Independence and Civil War, you know, the impact on people. And I had heard one one particular story of a friend whose great grandfather had been killed and how that impacted her granny and her later in life. And I just became fascinated with that. And then a friend of mine kind of uh, called Dan Riley uh, kind of uh, pressed me into writing the stories of ordinary women in West Cork. And so I put a call out. Just became fascinated at the kind of the quietness around the stories, really. Um, Sometimes a secrecy and sometimes a quietness within families who were reluctant to tell the stories aloud or only knew the stories themselves, didn't broadcast them really. And I so I I thought I had put in an application to the Heritage Department of Cork County Council and said I'd do a pamphlet and thought I'd have a lovely small little little uh, offering to give. And then one thing led to another. And as I was writing the stories, I couldn't stop 
uh, adding the detail uh, because I suppose I'm a storyteller. I'm not a historian. I'm a storyteller. And I just wanted the personalities of these women to come through and to try and give the reader an understanding of what it must have been like uh, at that time. And just I'm in awe of what they what they were able to achieve and, you, and, and you, do. And you selected 13 uh, uh, West Cork women. Are they dotted That's right. right across West Cork? They're, they're, they stretch between Castletown Bear, right in, in this book, Castletown Bear, right through to Timaleague. And I think it might have been easier, Patricia, <laughs> if I had decided to do one small area, but I didn't. And, and so, but what is brilliant is that you then have the breadth of a kind of a, of a line travelling that whole kind of rural West Cork area. Yep. Were some or all of the members of Common Amman? Uh, most of them, in fact, are members of Common Amman, and it's slightly easier to research that. Uh, but some of them, uh, I, I also wanted to tell the other a kind of another story and the impact of violence on women. So I have, uh, I suppose I've, uh, there's a couple of, uh, there's a Protestant woman in it and the story of how she was impacted. And um, then there's another story of a woman who wasn't a member of Common Amman, uh, was an Irish, uh, a woman, an Irish Catholic background and uh, had married um, um, a Protestant man down in Beira. Bridget Noble is her name. And she was actually killed down in Beira. And again, that story that is, it isn't, isn't too well known. Um, so, so I wanted to kind of embrace all of the story, uh, stories around that time. And it's so important, Karen, isn't it, that these stories are put into book form because the fear is we lose these stories forever if Mm. if we don't put them into book form. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose um, one of the things I say, because there was a live performance came out of this as well. And we've been touring around West Cork with the live performance last summer, particularly and even recently. And one of the things I say is that um, it is time to remember the stories now. And there's something about the oral history uh, narrative that's really important to fill in the gaps of the dry of the dry facts, you know. And I suppose I don't hear the women's story in particular being told. I don't think it was valued. I think the amount of work that, say, common Amman women did in terms of catering, feeding, washing underwear, which comes up uh, very strongly for me. Um, you know, uh, providing food and shelter and care for the men on the run and and generally for for the the IRA men, um, as well as well as the the daring do and and carrying dispatches and and they and, put their um, own lives at, they put their own lives at risk. They put their own lives at risk and also. When the men were away, they were the ones. All the people were at risk. You know, the the, the, the particularly if the family was were known, these women were the ones left at home when the when the lads when the military came to search for them. Yeah, and and we celebrate, you know, so many times uh, the men of the War of Independence and yeah. the Civil War. Yeah. It it really yeah. is is a shame that so many of these women have been forgotten about. That's why well done to you on your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. I suppose I think there is a movement at the moment to recognise women. There's a lot of journalists and writers now picking up on women and or artists doing um, series of art on on women. And uh, so I think that stories, those stories are definitely coming to the fore. But I suppose for me, I, I also like the ordinariness of these women. 
um, who were doing extraordinary things and and just their their determination, their bravery, their heroism, uh, as well as the care and the love they showed, you know, is just I, I think I think it, it's best to recognize that. And and because I think it affects us all. I think we're you know, sometimes when when people currently or in the last number of years are really triggered by something, I'm kind of wondering why are they so excited? Why are people so you know, exercised by a particular thing. And so I think there's lots of times stuff comes up because of what we haven't d- addressed. You know, that's yeah, kind of yeah. partly my theory. And if I could transport you back in time, would you have been a member of Common Amman? Do you know, I don't know, Patricia, <laughs> because I suppose um, one of the things I, I kind of say is that I uh, I see myself as a pacifist. I okay. I want people to to kind of uh, resolve conflict by talking and and I don't like I think killing just begets killing you know I yeah. I, I grew up in the 70s and had had the you know the the troubles in the north was as as that kind of um, feeling and backdrop to the growing up and it just seems to me that there is no end to that you know um, I, but but I just re I do admire these women I just admire these women so much. And and also, you know, when, when I was kind of trying to sort out my thoughts on this, I, I started writing down all the words that I associated, the, the, uh, the positive words I associated and the negative words. And in fact, you know, th- because there was horror and fear and secrecy and... Uh, and and sometimes I feel that the the negative words outweigh have outweighed. And I think that's possibly why why we, we, we haven't been able to talk about it. Yeah, and it's a yeah. hundred years. Yeah. And, and remember as well that these women, and as we say, many of them putting their lives uh, on the line, they then on had the to line, fight yeah. for the start, for the pension. The pension was given to the men. I think they were, they were only 10 years behind, weren't they, before they managed to, That's to get right. a pension. They were 10 years behind. And when you see, uh, you know, often it took them, you know, so they're, I can see from the pension records they're applying in 1934. They're not getting their pensions until 1941 or 42. Oh, crazy. And then they're miserable. They're a fraction of what the men are getting. Um, and, and, and in fact, another part of the story, Patricia, which in fact only I've come across recently, is that, say, down in Beira, I think about 70% of the common Oman women emigrated. So that there was, you know, that legacy is there as well. And all of those people who went abroad um, and, you know, recently with with Biden, um, Joe Biden coming back and Mary Robinson talking about, you know, our diaspora and how hard it was for us to see the diaspora as Irish or welcome them. You know, there's something really powerful in all of that realisation as well, you know. OK, and tell me about Home Rules, which is the play that, that that's one of the of the 13 women in the book, isn't it? That's that's what that story that's is about. Right. Tell me about that that's, woman. So this was a woman, Rose O'Connell, who lived in Skibbereen. Um, she actually features in in the film as well as the documentary film. We, we interview her great grandson. And uh, the, the, the play is about her remembering back about uh, her two sons. Uh, she had two sons, one just out of teenage years around that time, and the other was kind of like 15, 16, coming into the War of Independence. And uh, she had to, they took opposite sides at the Civil War. Yeah. So she set down the ground rules for living within the house. So they're the home rules, which ah. is not my name, unfortunately, ah. that was given to me. But it's brilliant. And she actually, that's, it's Rose O'Connor from Skibbereen that's on the front cover of your book, isn't it? 
That's like right. That's the that's picture right, for her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Listen, it's it's fascinating. I could talk to you all a day. So it's Wednesday, yeah. the twenty fourth of May at the Skull Harbour Hotel, and I'm assuming tickets will go on sale. Will it for it? Tickets are on sale through the Faster Film Festival, I think, from today. Um, and just could I just say, Patricia, sorry to delay you, but no, you're just okay. a huge thanks to the Heritage Department for the funding for the film. And uh, Paulina Driscoll is the actor, of course, in Home Rules, um, who is probably best known for her fish, uh, her fish uh, ad on telly where yeah. she's swiping left or right. Yeah. <laughs> she's fantastic. She's she unbelievable. She, yeah. she is. Listen, when's book number two coming out? Do you know I'm in the middle of book two? I got that does I got not surprise the, me. That does not surprise yeah, me. Yeah, uh, I got I got funding for that from the Royal Irish Academy, so I'm 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 uh, I'm rushing to get get that done by this summer. And what's what what is that on? Uh, that is on again. Um, it, again, I'm I'm searching for thirteen women. I'm nearly up to thirteen women. Great. It, do you know it will match the first book? Um, uh, just because that just went down so well. And I, I'll tell you, Patricia, I, I, I could keep going for a long time with this kind of a project, really. Well, get the book it's in. I, I would love to read it and chat with you about your, your book number two. It's fascinating. But I will in, indeed. In, yeah, the mean t- super. in the meantime, thank you for that and good luck at the Fascinate Fil- Film Festival. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much, Patricia. Thank you Good very morning much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Karen uh, Minahan, who joins us. She is a West Cork author. Somebody on an old age pension, a contributory pension, but also gets a half carers, was wondering were they entitled to extra in the €200, Euro, the cost of living bonus that was given out last week. No, we looked into that. Uh, you get the €200 Euro on the old age pension. They weren't giving extra for the half uh, carers. I don't know if they do it on other bonuses, but they certainly weren't doing it on the spring bonus. So I'm assuming you just picked up the extra €200 Euro last uh, Friday. Hi Patricia, somebody was saying when they were talking about the council that they need to hire more workers and get the man with the shovel back out there on cleaning out the dikes etc. Well Mick said they did interview for work and guess what when they tried to employ people most people said they'd be better off on social welfare. Now is, is that did that actually happen or is the pay that bad that you will be better off on social welfare? That seems uh, incredible. And then on 16 year olds being allowed to drive somebody says what, how much would the insurance be for a 16 year old? The prices are high enough now for a young driver to get insurance. Could you imagine what it would be for a 16 year old? On conditions of our roads, Joan in Formoy says instead of bringing out those curved footpaths which have actually taken away parking spaces in the town of Formoy, would they not have been better off using the money to resurface Patrick Street in Formoy? How can they get the time and the money to have these curved footpaths and yet they're not investing in road uh, maintenance? Where is all the money coming from the footpaths and the flower displays on these footpaths? Uh, Joan reckons the priorities are all wrong. On teen drivers Tommy says, on the subject of allowing young drivers on the road with this use of a speed limiter the, it's an EU proposal that's been looked at and the idea is that the car wouldn't be able to go over 45 kilometres an hour Tommy comes in with an interesting point on this, this would rule out the option of letting them use their parents car because the limiter I don't know how these limiters work but they have to be installed in the car so therefore the young person would need to have their own car and there are very few families out there that can afford to put a 16 year old on the road with their own car 
car because most young people learn to drive in the car of mum and dad. So that kind of ruled it out. That's a, a really, really good point. Thank you for that, uh, Tommy. There's a lot of holes, I have to say, in this particular uh, proposal. Michael says, Patricia, hi, on the slow drivers and then the tailbacks that build up behind them when we were talking about driver habits. Some people, you know, while it came out that people don't like speeding uh, in others, uh, but a number of people said, what about slow drivers? Uh, Because, you know, they infuriate other people. Uh, Michael says, so somebody who's driving too slow, they can be charged with careless driving, but they usually just get a rap on the back of the knuckles on a first offence. But if they are caught a second time, it normally carries a fine and a ban. Michael says these slow drivers can and do cause road rage and they can go on to cause serious accidents. Thanks, Michael. This is from Mary. Hi, Patricia. I listened to your interview with uh, Deputy Colm Burke and uh, he says that something should be done about people's addiction to over-the-counter and prescription codeine-based drugs. Has he forgotten that he's currently in government, i.e. governing our country? Who is he expecting to do something about addiction in particular regarding the -the over-the-counter drugs? Why is he not doing something about it now? I have a feeling there must be a general election in the air. It seems a lot of different politicians are having their voices heard lately. Well, I don't think Colin Burke can be accused of that. We've had him on the, the programme before. But he did accept when I said to him a point, a really good point that I heard yesterday from Dr Dennis McCauley who is a GP in Donegal and he was coming out in defence of people who are addicted to codeine and he says that it is the long waiting lists in our hospitals for things like knee appointments for hip replacements and like he was saying there's 65,000 people waiting for either an orthopaedic outpatient appointment or waiting for an operation. People who they've assessed need to have a hip or a knee done. Can you imagine the pain that that person is in and many of them are on these waiting lists for many many years and he said because of that GPs have no other choice but to give out prescriptions for codeine are at times stronger uh, medication and he said it is the long waiting list that are creating what he's calling functioning codeine uh, addicts. And he came out very much in defence of those people and says, you know, they've no other choice. And doctors have no other choice. If a patient comes in crying in pain, of course they're going to give them a prescription for the best possible painkillers. And we know that codeine drugs do work uh, extremely well when it comes to killing pain. So I can I can actually understand why when Colin Burke was giving out the figures of the number of people, I think up to a million prescriptions for codeine-based products were handed out last year. A lot of that is to do with people who are in so much pain waiting to get into a hospital. So yes, I I certainly can understand it. He did talk about waiting lists when I put it to him and, and I need to get through those waiting lists. But in the meantime, don't be picking on the people who have to take the codeine just so they can function so that they're not going to be living in pain 24-7. But then there is the other problem of people who've become addicted to codeine over the counter. This isn't prescription. This isn't a doctor saying that they need the uh, the actual codeine-based be it salpidine or norofen or whatever it is. Someone says there's a simple solution to all of this. Almost everyone in Ireland 
has a PPS number. Give everyone a basic allowance and once it's reached, no more codeine-based drugs can be given for the rest of that month unless they have a prescription for, for a doctor. And in fairness, Colin Burke did say they need to come up with some kind of an electronic system whereby you'd present some kind of a card and all of the information would be on it and then the chemist would know if you're chemist hopping, trying to get as much uh, codeine uh, as, as you can because, you know, when we spoke yesterday with Joe Heffernan, he spoke with somebody who was addicted to it, who was taking 96 tablets a day. I mean, unbelievable, but that's just a complete addiction to a codeine-based drug. 0818 103 103. And then Heidi has been on to us, who is really, really annoyed about a piece she found from a Green Party uh, senator um, by the name of Roisin Garvey. Now, I have to say, I'll, I'll, I'll call out some of what Roisin Garvey had to say. And I don't know whether Heidi is aware of this uh, or not, but she's very insulted by what Roisin Garvey had to say about rural folk. Now, this was from an article that came out uh, nearly three years ago now, well, October of 2020, so over two uh, years ago. And it was it was remarks that were made by Senator Roisin Garvey at the Green Party's National Convention. It was on a debate they were having about the anti-green narrative. And there's an anti-green narrative in rural areas. And at the time, back in 2020, the party was saying they were struggling to win votes in rural areas, that they had a kind of a base in the bigger cities, but they struggled in the rural areas. So they had this debate at their national convention and Roisin Garvey, a Green Party senator, told people that they need to stop using big words when trying to appeal to rural voters. As she said, they may not understand what you mean. And she was giving her advice to party members saying you need they need to choose their words, adding that she'd learnt this from working with members of the travelling community. Now, she's a Clare-based senator, so she would know rural voters, I'm assuming, only too well. She says of rural voters, we don't have to give them statistics on carbon this and climate that, and we don't need to use big vocabulary. We really have to choose our words, I suppose. She says if you start engaging with people and you're using even the words sustainable or biodiversity this is vocabulary that's new stuff and we shouldn't assume that people understand what they are so she said let's talk to them about the flowers talk about the cattle talk about the robin and the sparrow <laughs> she says to keep vocabulary as simple as possible now, as I say this I'm, I'm reading this from a piece in the Irish Independent uh, dated Friday 2nd of October back in 2020 I wonder I'll have to do a deep dive this afternoon Heidi to find out was there a response to it because I imagine like Heidi has contacted us this morning saying she's really really annoyed uh, about it and she says that this Senator Garvey needs to put her brain in gear before she opens her mouth I'm so annoyed at her comments and how she assumes how intelligent or not people in rural areas are and Heidi went on she's not happy about having the Greens in government uh, either. So very, very annoyed. As I say, it's a piece from over two years ago. What's the reaction at the time? I don't know because I, I can't honestly say I'd seen that piece before, but I'll see if I can find out this afternoon if there was any reaction to it. I imagine, I imagine there probably was. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 086 
103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The High Plains Traditional Band, they're from Colorado in the US of A. They're playing in a concert tonight in St. Sennan's Church of Ireland in Inniscara, and that concert starts at 8 pm. The monthly Mass in honour of St. Pio will be held in St. Joseph's Church in Lismire, and that is on uh, tonight at 8 o'clock. All are welcome. Tomorrow, Thursday, Donnerail Active Retirement Association will host a coffee morning. Now, it's in aid of the Alzheimer Association. It's from 10.30 to 1 in the presentation pastoral centre tomorrow morning. You're invited to please come along and help people live with Alzheimer's instead of suffering from it. Tara's Shock Fundraising Shop in Dunmanway. They're holding their 15th birthday celebrations tomorrow, Thursday, starting at 12 noon. Everyone's welcome to come along. You can join them for a cuppa and a chat. And Dukas Clonakilty Heritage are presenting a documentary film screening at half past eight tomorrow, Thursday, at the Clonakilty GAA uh, Pavilion. It's a history of milling in uh, Cork. It's been produced and directed by Anne Marie Green. And the admission charge is €5 cash only, please. And that applies on the night. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And get your gardening questions in. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. P in Bantry says Patricia. Eminem was rapping about codeine abuse. That's about 20 years ago. So it's just Ireland catching up with the States. So it really is old uh, news. Well, I don't know if it's Ireland catching up with the States, but it's getting worse. The amount of people who are being either prescribed codeine are becoming addicted uh, to coding. And the number of prescriptions issued, this is from doctors, not the over-the-counter uh, medicines, has jumped by more than 22% since uh, 2019 and last year over 1 million prescriptions were issued for a codeine based medicine from uh, GPs uh, and, and that's not to say that there's not more people got uh, codeine they were just the ones that was as administered under medical cards the drug payment scheme and the long term illness uh, scheme but that ties in with 2012 it's interesting it's 2012 that ties in with waiting lists were getting longer since 2012 so more people are in pain so there's a lot of people genuinely need unfortunately to take the codeine and the last thing they want to be is addicted to it. Thank you for your text to 0862103103 and an email to Cork today at c103.ie from Tom says Morning Patricia while you're on the subject of roads today could you please inquire does anybody know if the traffic entering the Jack Lynch tunnel from the Mahan side will remain the same when the works are completed. Now, I'll stop down there. I asked John Paul because I, I don't know this area and I don't drive to the Jack Lynch Tunnel. He, he reckons that the new lanes that are in place are the new lanes and all of the work that has been done. Those lanes that are there now are going to remain in place. But if anybody can contradict us on that, please do. And the reason Tom is pointing out the lane changes in the Jack Lynch Tunnel, he said, I travel that road every morning. And somebody is going to be killed with lane switching inside in the tunnel and most especially exiting the tunnel as some drivers are acting so recklessly by lane jumping or else jumping the queue. A lady only this morning with a child in a car seat in the car jumped into the east lane from the Dublin lane and how the truck driver spotted her was just short 
of America. It's becoming more dangerous and more frightening as the weeks progress. So anybody else who, like Tom, has to drive the Jack Lynch Tunnel on a daily basis, have you noticed that, that people are lane hopping since they've changed the layout of the lane and what lane you're meant to be in and not meant to be in? Your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103. And in the last hour I mentioned there was a bit of breaking news and a bit of good breaking news. The price of butter is coming down. Well, in Tesco and Aldi at the moment from tomorrow, 40 cent off a pound of their own brand butter. And I imagine the rest will follow suit because it was the same wasn't it little were the first to reduce the two litres of milk and then all of the others jumped in so I'm assuming all the others will be doing the same uh, as well so fingers crossed is this the start of some of the items that we're buying and they're the essentials I mean butter and milk and bread you know they're the stables that you buy every single week they're not exactly exactly luxuries uh, are we going to start seeing a drop in our grocery prices there is a bit of good news in the sale of supermarket own brand range including the butter are now neck and neck with branded branded goods this is the latest comp- grocery survey that's out. The news comes as food inflation is easing at last. Now it's only a tiny reduction but we'll take any reduction that we can and the survey is out for the month of April and it is the first time in two years that inflation has dipped ever so slightly. Now grocery price inflation is still crazily high. Uh, It's at uh, 16.6% and that is eight times more than the ECB's targets. They reckon the grocery inflation should be at 2% where it's 16.6%. But it's down marginally. It was 16.8% the previous month and these are the figures that come out every month from Kandar who look at the way we shop in groceries, um, you know, the different habits that we have and what we're buying and not buying. So it's a very, very slight reduction. Sales of value and own label goods are soaring with the Consumer Association of Ireland saying no real surprise there. Dermot Jewell is quoted in the papers as saying the recent announcement of a drop in milk prices now needs to be reflected in further reductions in other areas and he says the sooner the better. There are no surprises in this reflection of how consumers are trying their best to make ends meet where prices continue to rise above the odds so people are going into supermarkets people who may never have looked at own brand products before and are saying well that's cheaper that's all I can afford this week or this month and that's what I'm going to switch to. Now the Finance Minister Michael McGrath warned yesterday that if prices continue to remain high then the ECB will carry on with its policy of raising interest rates to cool inflation which of course that's going to lead to higher mortgage repayments for thousands of home owners and you know I know the ECB and this the way the the economies work that in order to cool down inflation, that's what they always do. They put up interest rates. But when you look at the price of food inflation, and we have seen mortgage rates go up because we have seen interest rates increase by the ECB, it doesn't seem to be really working, uh, does it? So we'll have to wait and see because there is talk that there is going to be another increase and that's really bad news to anybody out there struggling with a mortgage. And then the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, he said the price of grocery bills and the tank of, di- of diesel and petrol he says they are still too high. He said the government will monitor very carefully any risks or any signs that any part of our economy 
is profiteering from levels of inflation and a lot of people feel that that is what is going on. It is price gouging that's going on. Uh, Cantor's Emer Healy, who ran the survey, she said, although grocery price inflation remains high, it is now lower than the level seen last month. And we'll just take a little bit of consolation from that because it is the first dip seen in almost two years, which has got to be welcome news for us, the Irish consumers. Grocery sales increased by 11.5% and that's the highest growth rate since February of last year. But it is the own brand, the value own brand labels that have seen the strongest growth. They're up 33%. We are spending uh, 18 million euro more uh, on, on these aisles on the own brands than what we are spending the last number of years. And then, of course, when the Candor monthly service survey comes out, they always show which supermarket, where are we doing the most uh, shopping? And if for the, from the retailers themselves, Dunn stores, they're currently holding the highest market share uh, among the retailers. 23.2% of us are going to Dunn stores. Tesco are in second place, 22.4%. And Super Value slightly down on last month. They're in third place though at 20.7 and then the value supermarkets they're always at the bottom of the five uh, Little currently holds 13.3% of the overall market and 12.1% of us are shopping in Aldi but a very very slight dip the first dip in almost two years let's hope this time next month when the Kandar grocery survey comes out I'm saying there's even a further fall and that we will start to see it like the price of milk has come down slightly the butter from tomorrow let's hope we'll start seeing more and more drop when we get to the till 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 your gardening questions please Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103 Gardening with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival May 26th to 28th at Cork Racecourse Mallow. It's too big to miss. And Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com, joining us on this Wednesday. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. And I was only talking when I was teeing up that you were coming on uh, the programme. Uh, the weather has been so lovely the last couple of days. And particularly there were some nice days over the bank holiday weekend. It was great to get out and to get stuck into the garden, wasn't it? You know, it was really lovely. And every, I'd say every, every neighbourhood and housing estate in the country had the lawnmowers going. <laughs> but I, I've been thinking a lot about what uh, what you were talking about before I came on air last week and the scaravines. Do you remember the, yeah, the, weather. the, 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 high, the, the high temperature one day and then the low temperature the next day? I said we were having a bit of that too at the moment still. Yeah, you, got, you really do have to be careful. OK, somebody sent in a picture during the week of a plant that they want to know, is it a plant or a weed? And John Paul sent it on to you. Did you get that picture? Is it a plant? No, you didn't. Okay, we 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 can come back to it. We'll come back to it on a, on another yeah. week. Okay, Sarah says my escalonia was planted four years ago. It's only growing with leaves at the end of the branches. There are no shoots or leaves on the main stem. It hasn't been trimmed so far. How do I? How can I fill it out? Okay, well, trimming is is the key here, and uh, so you could trim it back now. It, it is, and I know we're going to be talking more about this soon, but it is against the law to cut your hedges at the moment under the Wildlife Act. Um, 
but I would say in this situation, if it's completely bare, except for a few bits of the tips, there's nothing nesting in the hedge. So uh, not encouraging anybody to break the law, but you mightn't do any damage. If you if you want to stay within the letter of the law, wait till after September and cut it back then. But what you're doing by cutting it back is encouraging new growth from within. Okay, which is what you want to do to thicken it up. Um, and in fact, after just saying September, when we're coming into the winter, for an evergreen plant, that wouldn't be ideal So, because you're going to cut off, if you're cutting off the tips, you're cutting off most of the growth, obviously. So um, I would say probably wait till next March to do it unless you're happy to do it now. That's up to yourself. Horticulturally, uh, now is a fine time to do it. It will for it will encourage it to green up that bit more. Um, I would imagine that's what it's, it's bad pruning or a need, need, the, not bad pruning, but the need for pruning is is why it's not thickening up. You could try improving the soil around it by putting putting some um, well rotted manure or good homemade compost around the base of it to try and build up the the nutrients around it and the, the texture of the soil around it. That should help as well. Okay, Mary has what she describes as a mature <coughs> garden, and she's thinking of putting plum coloured stones around her beds. She's wondering, will the plum colour complement a mature garden and what size stone would Peter recommend? Well, in terms of colour first, that's impossible to say whether I think it'll complement it or not because I, I can't see the garden. But also apart from that, colour is very personal. I love the yeah. plum state, the plum colour state, but it's very personal. You know, one person might like it, somebody else mightn't. It, it, but it's your garden. So you go with what you like is what I would say to that one. In terms of the size of the stone, <clears throat> the plum slate which is local to Cork. And I mean, it, it, you know, in terms of good garden design, not to mention the environmental impact, it's always good to use local materials. I mean, that's another plus for it, if you like. But in terms of the 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 um, the size of the stone, uh, the bigger the stone, the better, actually, in terms of preventing slugs, believe it or not. Uh, I remember the speaking to Finbar O'Neill there in O'Neill's quarries, where they quarry the plum slate. He was telling me this a couple of years ago that they'd found it was very effective in keeping slugs away. And I presumed it was the smaller, harsher, slaty bits that were doing it. He said, no, it's the big ones. And if you put yourself at kind of slug's eye view down on the ground level, if you've got very big slates to get up and get over and big rocks and stones, it's an awful lot of work. It's much easier to go somewhere else and get to eat your plants. So I would go for the bigger stones around the plants as a mulch. If you're putting it on a footpath, I wouldn't. I would go slightly smaller. But but for a mulch, I would use the bigger ones. OK, and actually stay on slugs because uh, somebody wants to know putting copper around flower pots. Will that work? Things have been Absolutely, eaten by slugs. Yes. Yeah, yeah, copper tape is a very effective way of, of repelling. Uh, and it's a barrier product for slugs, if you like. The, 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 the little saliva type uh, substance that comes off them as they move reacts with the copper and they get little mini electric shock, <laughs> which, which I shouldn't laugh at, but there you go. But it, it's, it's a great way of controlling slugs because what you're doing then is you're not, you're not introducing any poison into the garden. You're not killing the slugs and then killing the birds and the hedgehogs. You're, 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 protecting your plants, yet you're still leaving a, a healthy supply of slugs and snails for the birds and hedgehogs to feed on. So you're actually doing the best thing for your garden there. Yeah, no, it's very effective. Uh, because I know I, I can't even think about the beer traps, <laughs> but do the beer traps work where they where the slug they, drowns in the beer? Yeah, they, they, they're they attracted to the smell of the beer and then they, they fall into it and they drown and the alcohol kills them. Um, but yes, they do work. It is, it is pretty hideous, but they do work, yeah. And can the birds eat them then? 
Well, you see, the, the slug traps by their design, even a homemade one, if you get a, a homemade old yogurt uh, yogurt thing with a lid on it, those bigger oh, yogurt things that okay. have the, the lid on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the birds can't get at them. Okay, all right, because we don't want the birds eating the, uh, uh, getting the beer, I suppose, either. Okay, hi, this is from Margaret. Um, what is the best fertiliser to use for flocks, boxes, hedge, and also on perennial flowers? For boxes hedge, uh, two, there's two, well, I mean, there's several. Any good kind of liquid seaweed or granular seaweed feed will do you very well. Um, but there is a specific one for boxes hedging called Top Buxus, B-U-X-U-S, which is, as, as the name suggests, specifically formulated for boxes hedging, box hedging. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, you know, don't quote me on this, but to the best of my knowledge, it is an organic feed, uh, but certainly very, very good feed. You could just apply um, a sulfate of, sulfate of iron around it would help it as well. Um, but a good liquid, or sorry, a good liquid or granular seaweed fertilizer should help, and that's the same as what I would do for for perennials in the bed. A good uh, uh, seaweed, either granular or, or liquid, around it. But the best thing of all for all of them, of course, is to improve the soil. And you'll you'll only you'll best improve the soil if you like by adding more and more organic matter. So it's like I was saying there earlier for the for the Escalonia hedge, whether that's well rotted manure, uh, chicken manure. Uh, whether it's it's seaweed, whether it's it's homemade compost, any kind of organic material that you can get into the soil, because you see, you're not just bringing in nutrients then, which will leach out in time. You're actually physically improving the texture and structure of the soil, which is what we need to do in the garden. Okay, Marion wants to plant an apple tree. She was talking to her neighbour at the weekend. She has space in her garden for an apple tree. She was talking to a neighbour at the weekend who said to her, "You'll need to plant two apple trees, or you won't get fruit." Could could Peter please advise on an apple tree for her garden? Well, the the the, the neighbour is right. I'm afraid you 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 do need uh, more than one apple tree to to for fruit. So one will pollinate another, and without going too far into it. During the period of blossom, apple blossom, which we're just coming to the end of now, you, that, that period of apple blossom is broken into early season, mid season and late season. Um, so that so we have group one, two and three, early, mid and late. So you want it's a good it's a general rule of thumb now without getting too far into it, that two, any two from group one will pollinate each other. Any two from group two will pollinate each other. And the same with three. Obviously, then if they're in flower at the same time, it's the bees and the insects do the work. So. Uh, they don't you, uh, crab apples crab apples are also excellent at pollinating eating apples so maybe you don't want two eaters or two cookers or you just want one for fruit well then put in a crab apple as well which will look gorgeous and work perfectly as a pollinator um, so I would say a, a quick online search to show you which ones are in each group uh, and that will that will then you can have a look at the varieties that you want from that because there really are hundreds available. The only couple to bear in mind are it's Bramleys is what's called a triploid. So if you w- did want to grow Bramleys, uh, which is a cooker, then you do need two others to pollinate that. But as I said, we could spend the whole day mm. talking about pollinating. And are they are they easy to grow? Easiest thing in the world to grow, yeah. give them a good sunny sheltered position and just make sure that you have the right ones to pollinate each other and and let the, let nature do the work. Okay. And Kate is looking for advice. She said she get every summer she gets a what she describes as a mushroom like fungus. Uh, it grows on her lawn. It ends up in the same area of the lawn, almost in a semicircle. It's been there for about the last two years. What is it and how does she get rid of it? Why would you get rid of it? There's no need to get rid of it at all. The, like We're reliant on, on fungi and bacteria and the soil and the ground to break things down for us. So there's no need to, to quickly to quickly go looking to get rid of it. Just leave leave it. It's, if it's not killing your lawn, if it's not doing any harm, 
then then leave well alone. I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of of the fungi in our garden aren't doing any harm to our ornamental plants. So we just need to leave them alone. What what it is, I which one it is, obviously I'm not so certain uh, because I can't see it. And you know what? Even if I could see it, I'm, I probably couldn't answer because I'm not an expert on on identifying mushrooms. But they are out there. Uh, but I'm not one. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go, dream of going near it. It needs to do its thing as well. So unless it's causing damage to your lawn, I'd leave well alone. Okay, and Mia wants to tidy up uh, the garden and she said she has had a lot of daffodils in her garden. She says they're planted there at least 20 years ago. Very few flowers this year. She was really, really disappointed. Are the bulbs just spent? Will she dig them up and just dump them? You can answer that, I think. They're gone blind. Dig them up and they just are, break them are. and just yeah, break exactly. them apart, isn't it? It's a simple one. That's a... That's exactly it. They're they're gone blind. Yeah, you, you, where where they were planted twenty years ago, what was one bulb is probably now a cluster of about seven or eight or nine bulbs all coming off the one root plate. So they've all got just too congested. So as you say, dig them up uh, when the foliage has died back. Now dig them up and separate the bulbs into individual bulbs and replant them then in the autumn. And does it just happen with daffodils? Does it happen with tulips? It does happen with, it can, yes, I mean, in theory it happens with tulips, but the problem is with tulips in our climate, they tend not to, you know, there'd be very few people that would say they planted tulips 20 years ago and they're still coming. Do you know what I mean? So if we leave tulips in the ground year after year, they do tend to die off. So it, that's why we tend not we tend not to hear of it being a problem. But yes, in theory, it will be the same same situation. Okay. Yeah. And as soon as we mentioned apple trees, Agnes is on. She, she said, what to do with fungus on an apple tree? It's a cooking apple tree. The best cure for any fungal infection on apple trees is what we call cultural control, Trish, which is kind of, you know, dare I say, common sense stuff in the world of gardening. In other words, it's good pruning. So to allow good air circulation, remove crossing branches. And the reason we're removing crossing branches is, uh, number one, to, to promote good air circulation, but also where they're rubbing and crossing, that's where the, 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 a wound will form. You know, the bark will wear. You've seen it. And a bit like our own skin, then once it's cut, and that's where infection gets in. So good pruning to to ensure there's no crossing branches and good air circulation in the first instance. Now, the the right time to do that for apple trees is 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 past. It's kind of um, midwinter, really, November December. The other thing, at time of bud burst, which we're just at after, if you like, it's when the leaves and flowers emerge. Uh, apply a solution of copper sulfate and water. Now that that's a broad spectrum fungicide. It is certified for use organically, but the, the term is under license or under caution, which basically means maximum of once a year. So if you apply liquid or a liquid solution of copper sulfate and water now, that should hopefully prevent any fungal infection that it has. Okay, and very finally, suggestions, please. How to get rid of moss on tarmac? There's loads of products out there. There's one very good one. And I meant to check the name of this because I was asked before. Uh, and it's an Irish one. And I think it's organic. And it is very effective. <laughs> I'm going to say it's Algon. I'm going to say it's Algon, but I, I may again. be wrong. I may be wrong. I think I think Algon is the Irish organic one, but I have used it anyway, if only I could remember the name. And it is very good. And I think that's what it is. OK. All right. We'll take Algon. All right. Uh, busy week. Very busy week. I was listening there to the ad at the start. Mallow's coming up and before busy. that we've we've Chelsea. Thankfully, can't wait for that. So yeah, it's a really busy time of the year now, the month of May. When is Chelsea? It's in the next couple of weeks, is it? Uh, just it's the week the week in the run up to the Mallow show. So it oh, starts, I think, on the twenty second, twenty first, twenty second of May. Yeah, the, the Mallow one is the last weekend in May. 
So it's the week before yes, that. Yes, and Chelsea runs up to it. Chelsea, of course, make sure it makes sure that it finishes in time for Mallow. Oh, of course it does. And you're you're going over. You're going. You're heading to Chelsea this year. I'll be at both. I'll be at yeah, both. Of course, brilliant, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, we'll talk again next Wednesday. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for thanks, joining Chris, us. Good morning to you, or good afternoon as it is now. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, the IrishGardener.com. He'll be back with us again next Wednesday. Just some of your texts uh, coming in. When we were talking about the price of items coming down in the supermarket very, very slightly last month for the first time in two years, somebody is pointing out the price of a packet of ham. It's one of the well-known supermarkets. It was always €2 Euro for 20 slices. Then it went up to €2.20. Euro it's for 15 slices. That shrinkflation drives me mad. You think you're getting the same value and you're not. So two euro for 20 slices. Then it went to 229 for 15 slices. That 15 slice pack has now gone up to three euro 29. And I think everyone probably has similar stories like that where they can point out something. If you, if you, particularly if you know, we don't know the prices of everything, but something will stick in your mind and you'll be able to see just how much it has uh, gone up by. Um, hi, uh, Patricia, could you please give a shout out? Does anybody know if there's a local bus going to knock for the 14th of May? Now, when this person says local bus, it's come in by text. So I don't know where local is. I don't know if this person is in the city the county, East Cork, West Cork, North Cork, I've, n- I've no idea, but let's put out a generous shout out. Any buses going to knock for the 14th of May? And Donald is picking up on the piece that I got from Heidi, who was really uh, very offended by a piece that had come from a Green senator. Now, it was over two years ago, talking about when they go out to canvas the way that they should speak to people in rural Ireland, almost making out that those of us that live in rural Ireland, that we don't understand a term like biodiversity and that we don't understand sustainability and to keep the language simple and talk about cows and flowers and the robins, uh, etc. Donald says the Greens and that person saying that rural people don't understand. I hope the Greens will get their answer at the next election. They, the Greens, would want to realise it is the people of rural Ireland that are producing their food. They need to wake up and realise that. And yet the Greens in government are doing their best, according to Donal, to try to close down farming with some of their rules and regulations. Now, the Greens will say the opposite, Donal, and they will say that they are doing everything possible to ensure that we have a future with farming. But not all farmers agree. Final text in from Ken in Bishopstown where we talk about the Greens and climate change, says Patricia. The elephant in the room. Only 5% of plastic is actually recyclable. Single-use plastics should be banned. Ireland is responsible for less than 0.1% of climate change. World population explosion. Resultant consumer demand. Never even spoken about. That's Ken in Bishopstown. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.